You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Don't keep them from me before I die. Fraud and lies keep far from me. Don't give me either poverty or wealth. Give me just the food I need, or I'll be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. a soccer coach who at halftime of every game where we were in the lead, we were winning, he would always make sure before we exited the locker room, he led us in this chant. He would say to us, now, are you grateful for the lead? To which we would always say, always. Say, but are you satisfied? And we would all in unison say, never. However, I'll never forget uh, one game. We were beating a team 5-0 to zero at halftime. The other guy on the other team was wearing jean shorts. They had a kid over there with one shin guard. Like, it wasn't pretty. And so, uh, without even thinking about it, I responded, yes, very satisfied, actually. Very content. Feeling very bad about it. Feeling very merciful at this point. And so, actually, if we could just put in third or fourth string, that would be really, really helpful. I think we won the game 13-2. to two. At one point, I just started kicking the ball in our own goal just to give them some morale boosts along the way. The messaging was good. The intention was good. Our coach was trying to protect us from complacency, trying to protect us from apathy on and off the field. But since then, I've thought a lot about how messaging like that, that I not only got from coaches and teachers and people along the way, I've not only thought about how that messaging has impacted me in sports, but in life. I've thought a lot about how it's actually impacted my ability, or should I say my inability, to be satisfied with my life, to find contentment with my life. Today, we are actually finishing up a sermon series that we began just a short couple of weeks ago. If you're joining us for the very first time today, that sermon series has been called What the Tech? What the Tech? All month long here in September, we've been having this little mini-series, this mini-conversation. And to be very clear, the purpose of this uh, sermon series was not to 
bash on technology. Nowhere in the sermon series were you hearing us saying, technology is evil and social media is the enemy. But rather what we've been doing is we've been having an in-depth conversation on how these tools, these advancements have exposed the real enemies in our lives. And today we're gonna wrap up this conversation with a discussion on this very enemy that I just alluded to a moment ago. This struggle that humanity has, this, this weakness we as human beings have had when it comes to being content with the lives that we have. And in many ways, it's really important to point out that technology, again, didn't start this struggle. Technology is not the cause of this problem. This problem that humanity has been suffering from has been in the water ever since the beginning. In fact, you might even read Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. You might read that as nothing other than Adam and Eve struggling to accept, struggling to be grateful, struggling to sort of be okay with the life and the abilities that they've been given. You might read their, their disobedience, their rebellion, as simply them saying, no, we want more. We need more. We're desperate for more than what we currently have. In fact, this condition is also highlighted in our scripture passage for today. So, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along today, today we're going to be camped out in the passage you just heard Joy read a couple moments ago. Today we're going to be camped out in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Every week of this sermon series, we've been camped out in the book of Proverbs, and the reason for which is because Proverbs is, think of it this way, Proverbs is what most scholars believe, it's one or maybe a couple of different authors who sat down at the very end of their lives and they wrote down teachings, they wrote down tips, they wrote down advice, they wrote down wisdom that they had discovered throughout the course of their very imperfect lives, almost as a way of saying to anyone who comes after them, gosh, learn this stuff now because I wish I knew it 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we see such an example of this in chapter 30. In chapter 30, the author says, gosh, now that I've lived some life, now that I've made some mistakes, now that I've tried it in certain ways that have failed and led me astray, man, if I could ask for two things, if I could pray for two things, God, if you could give me two things, give me these. The first of which, he says, keep me from all fraud, all lies. Keep them far away from me. The first thing he's asking for is, God, help me to live a life of honesty. Help me to live a life of integrity. We can assume that at this point in his life, he understands just how destructive a life of dishonesty is, not only for the other people that you care about in your life, but for yourself. If you've ever found yourself living in a lie, that thing will eat you from the inside out. And so the first thing he asks for is, please protect me from that, shield me from that. And the second thing, again, he, these are the two things, these are the top two things he asks for at the end of his life. He says, and secondly, the second thing I ask for is this. And so we're going to be camped out for the rest of our conversation for today. He says this, don't give me either poverty or wealth. So I don't want either extreme. Please don't place me in either extreme. Give me just the food I need. Otherwise, I know myself. I know the way I am. I know my tendencies. If I'm full, I'll deny you. 
and I'll say, who is the Lord? If I've got way too much, I'll just say, oh, it was all for me. I made all this happen. I provided all this for myself. I don't need nobody's help. Or if I'm poor, God, I'll, I'll be tempted to steal. I'll be tempted to go beyond, to try to fight and scratch just to have enough to live, to survive. So please, God, place me in that sort of middle space. So what's he asking for? He's asking for the gift of contentment. Help me to be content with my life. And he's not speaking out of turn. This theme shows up throughout the course of Scripture in several different places. Most iconically, it shows up in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul writes this. He says this, same place. He's reached the same place at the end, towards the end of his life, and he says this, I'm not saying this because I need anything, because I've learned how to be content in any circumstance. I've learned the secret to life. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, and that's enduring all things, not through my power, not through my strength, not through my bright ideas, not through my agenda, but through the one who gives me strength. What both of these authors came to understand, what both of them came to fully comprehend, is that why contentment and practicing contentment, gratitude with the life that you've been given, why that's so important is because if you never cultivate contentment and gratitude in your life in any time, in any place, what will happen is you will fall into the lie, you will believe the illusion that says that happiness is something out there instead of something found in here. I like to say it this way. The problem with a discontent life is you believe the lie that happiness is something you run to instead of something you're digging for. And friends, I ain't going to lie to you. Like as a pastor, I see this all the time. As a part of my job, I see this all the time. I'll watch people who will bail on a relationship. They'll bail on a marriage because they'll be like, well, you know, surely there's someone else out there who doesn't have these issues, who I don't have these problems with. And so if I just go and find that person, then surely I'll have the perfect marriage and I'll be, I'll be perfect harmony and perfect unity. And what happens when they leave that person, they go to the next person, what follows them? All them same issues. I had a therapist say to me one time, he said, just remember, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> I was like, I feel like that was a passive-aggressive way of insulting me, but we're going to bypass that and keep moving on. I see this with people when they interact with their, their career life, their job life. They get offered you know, advancements and promotions and jobs to give them pay more money, give you more status, give you more influence, and they take them only to realize you missed your old job. You missed the people you worked with. Sure, you were getting paid less, but you, you found more purpose in your life. You were showing up and you were contributing to something meaningful. I watch this with materials, possessions all the time. I mean, good Lord, you live in a place, we live in a society. Problem, the, one of the biggest issues of in suburbia is you watch people and you look at their life, you look at their house, and you go, oh, if I could just get to that house, if I could reach sort of that status, then I'll be happy. And what happens? Oftentimes they get to that house, and they got less money, so they're not, as, not having as much fun, don't have as much freedom. They don't enjoy their neighbors as much. 
problem with discontentment is it's living the rest of your life chasing after a mirage. You're chasing after something that isn't actually there. And you want to know the bad news? It's only going to get harder. <laughs> it's only getting harder to practice contentment in your life. It's only getting harder to just stop and to be satisfied and to be grateful for what you've been given instead of always wanting and needing more. During biblical times, it actually was a lot easier. During biblical times, it would have been normal, it would have been ordinary for you to, when you lived your life, only have exposure, only have access to like 20 people's lives. You would only see like how 20 other people we're living. You'd bump into some people that you're living with in your home. You bump into a handful at work, bump into a handful at the marketplace. You might bump into a couple more when you take your donkey into the shop or when you take your tunic out for a good tailoring. And so you might bump into some people there. But like by the end of the day, it's like 20 people. By the end of the day, you only had exposure. You only had access to 20 people's lives, 20 people's careers, 20 people's homes, 20 people's marriages. You want to know how much access you have now? Going back to this whole sermon series on technology, there's a stat that found this. It found that the average person right now spends 151 minutes on social media per day. It's two and a half hours. And so I did the math. I did the math. I did my own math. I said, okay, well, how many accounts or how many different snapshots of people's lives do I see in one minute? And so I timed myself. And they did it a couple times, and the average was I found that I interacted with roughly 15 to 20 different accounts in any given minute. And so I'm going to assume most of you are way better than me, and so that means that for you, you're being exposed to hundreds of different people's lives, hundreds of different uh, sort of insights into their, their career and their life and their marriage and their parenting and everything else. For me, if you do the math and you take 15 times 151 minutes, that's over 2,000 different people's lives that I'm seeing every day. 2,000 different pictures into what reality should be or what it could be. And you're smart people. You know the way this works. The more access you have, what happens? The more you begin to Compare. And how does that age-old quote go? Comparison is the what of joy? It's a thief, man. It's a thief. I don't know a single person who possesses the ability to be content and grateful with their life and simultaneously be constantly comparing themselves to their peers and everyone else around them. I don't know a single person who knows how to do that. Comparison will steal every good thing that you have going for you. It'll rob you of every moment. Every day you wake up, you're like, man, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I got a lot going well for me. And the moment you look across the table and you see what this person has or you see what that person has, you will be robbed of any chance you had at being content with your life. You'll be robbed of any chance of finding true utter happiness. And again, friends, this is something that Jesus alludes to as well. In fact, I find it very, very interesting. I find it very, very fascinating 
that this is exactly the word Jesus uses to describe our enemy in John chapter 10. What does he say in John chapter 10? The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that you could have life to the full. And so it leads me to believe that if Jesus was rolling around with us today, carrying an iPhone, I think he would say the same thing. I think he would say, no, like the problem is not these. The problem is not your phone. The problem is not Facebook. The problem is not social media. Those are not your enemy. Here's the problem. The problem is that so many of us don't have a well-balanced, don't have a healthy relationship with these various things. And so as a result of that, these are not your enemy, but they are absolutely a tool being used by the enemy to keep you from that kind of life, to keep you from the life that God so desperately wants you to find right in front of you. And so if you're sitting here today and Maybe you are like me. Maybe you've struggled with contentment. Maybe it seems like everywhere around you, the voices are pointing you in the direction of greed and more and more and more. And so there's not been any really value for contentment. There's not been any value for being grateful for the life that you've got. If that's you, again, the whole purpose of this conversation is not for you to leave and to believe, oh, well, the solution is just throwing away all my devices. Or the solution is just getting off of all social media platforms. Trust me, it ain't that easy. And that wasn't the goal. Why? Because, friends, whether you like it or not, you were born into or you are now living in the digital age. This is the water you're swimming in. You can't escape it. This is the world we live in. And so the best you can do is navigating it faithfully. How? I'll give you a couple. By the way, if you want the full list of our uh, tips and pieces of advice, we actually published them on social media uh, earlier this, uh, this past week. And so there's a whole list of different things that we found uh, to be really, really helpful tools to incorporate into your spiritual life and your digital life so as to actually have control over it instead of being controlled by them. Catch the difference? But I want to give you my favorite two. The two most influential, the two most impactful in my own life. The first of which is this. If you're someone here today for whom contentment with your life, your marriage, with your job, with your house, with your existence has been so evasive to you, and technology ain't helping that, the first tip I have for you is to utilize a really, really good function that exists on all these social media platforms. It is the mute and the unfollow button. Starting today, I want you to pay really close attention. What effect are the people that you follow having on you? What effect are they having not only on your mental health, but your spiritual health? Are there people right now, maybe they're friends of yours, maybe they're family members of yours, and this is where it takes a little bit of humility. Sometimes it's people in your life who, they're not doing anything wrong, but you're just in a place where your life is struggling and you're jealous of what they have, and so you might need to unmute, you need to mute them or unfollow them for a season simply because you're not in a position right now to handle it. And so it takes a little bit of humility to own that. 
But if there are people in your life right now that you're following or you're observing or you're viewing from afar and constantly you find yourself walking away from your device feeling less worthy, less valuable, less attractive, that's a really clear sign that they should not have influence and access to your life. The commandment Jesus puts in front of us is to love thy neighbor. Nowhere in that commandment did it say you have to follow your neighbor. You need to do what your neighbor does. You need to run after the things your neighbor is running after. Nowhere even does it say that you need to listen to your neighbor. And some of you know this firsthand, that there are some neighbors that you're just going to have to learn how to love from a distance. And so if you want to regain control of this part of your life, my first uh, tip to you is to utilize that function. Take back control over who and what kind of content you're digesting every single day. And the second one is this. The second one also requires a little bit of humility. The second practice also requires a little bit of a an acceptance as to what you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot handle. And so my second piece of advice, my second tip for you is whenever you find yourself discouraged, depressed, insecure, sad, suffering, that's another sign that you should be limiting how much you use and how much you go to these devices. Let's just be honest, right? Let's just be honest. Whenever many of us are feeling sad, lonely, insecure, what do we do? We search for things that will either numb our pain or help us escape the difficult reality that we're currently wading through. And technology is not the only uh, way to do this, but it is absolutely the easiest to use. It is the most accessible to deploy. And so my general rule for you is whenever you find yourself in that season, you find yourself and you're really discouraged, you're going through a really rough season, it's been several days, several weeks, where you're not really finding a lot of joy in life, not finding a lot of purpose in life, that should be a really clear sign to you to avoid running to things that just numb the pain. Why? Because so often they'll leave you worse off after than you were before. By the way, that's the same exact advice I gave about a year and a half ago. I did a sermon. We did this whole sermon series on all the Christian rules, uh, what you can and can't do. We had this whole conversation on drinking. And I said, this is one of the rules that I try to abide by in my own life, that if ever I feel myself really struggling, really depressed, really down, really discouraged, I tend to avoid using alcohol in that way. Now, some of you are thinking, like, well, that's the only time I actually want to drink. And so what do you mean? Uh, how do I, how do I uh, sort of reconcile that? But the point being, honestly, what you're really struggling for, whenever you find yourself in the pits, whenever you find yourself in these really hard times in life, the reality is this. The reality is what you're really, really starving for is connection, isn't it? It's really what you're looking for is connection. And so instead of seeking things that help you escape from reality, escape from life, or numb your pain, maybe it's finding those people in your life who you can pull close to you and you can talk to them, you can share with them, and they can be there for you. They can pray for you. They can remind you of who you are. They can remind you of the value you possess. They can remind you of how important you are, not just to them, but to the world and to God. That's what you're really looking for. 
And while technology is a great means for connection, you know this, good Lord, it's a horrible substitute. It's a great means for surrounding yourself with the people who will remind you who you are. It's a horrible alternative. So I'll close here. Banji, you can come on up. The more I read passages like these, the more I sit with, even like the mentorship from the most spiritual people in my life, the, the, most, the spiritual heroes that I follow, the more and more I'm convinced that contentment is not one of those like bonus virtues in the Christian life, right? We all do it, right? We all do it. We all got like the list of essentials. Like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do these and then I'll just keep those for when I have time. Like, I'm, that's me with contentment. Like, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I know I'm supposed to forgive my enemies. But contentment is like gratitude. I'm just like, well, when I got time, like, whatever. Like, when people are like, hey, you want a gratitude journal? I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'll do that later. Um, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I start to realize that contentment is not one of those. It's not one of these virtues that if I got time, I'll come back around to it come to understand that it's actually at the core of Christian life. It's the core of who we're called to be. Why? Well, I don't know about you, but here's what I know about me. I know that up until this point, I have spent most of my life always looking around. Always looking around at what everyone else got. What everyone else is doing what everyone else is achieving, what everyone else, where everyone else is going with their life. And what saddens me is the realization that I must have missed out on a ton of God's goodness by living this way. And what haunts me the thought that if I don't change, if I don't fix this, no one, no thing will ever be enough for me. If I don't get a hold of this, if I don't start practicing contentment right now, I'm going to reach the end of my life and I will be someone who's just always needs more always wants more. It's never enough. You're never enough. That's never enough. This is never enough. And what terrifies me is the realization that maybe, just maybe, if I keep living this way, I might just stumble into Jesus' presence himself, and I don't even see him because I'm too busy looking past him. What's next? What else can I get? Where's the more still to be? I don't want to live that way. I don't want to reach that place. And so may it not be the case for me, for you. May we realize that the life you're so desperately hungry for, the life that you're starving for, so much closer than you ever thought.
the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. All God's children said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.